Welcome to PJ's Torah Corner. <clears throat> so today we're almost halfway through the Hebrew month of Cheshvan. In Cheshvan, the Cheshvan is unique in that it has no Jewish holidays. Every other month has some kind of Jewish holiday or special day, but Cheshvan doesn't have any. And and it's interesting uh, because we came we just came off of three of the biggest holidays: Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Simchat Torah, where we dance with the Torah. So we got through a month of many holidays, basically. And now we're in the month with none. It's like we come out of a fountain and we're in a desert. Uh, any commentary on that, MC? It's interesting you say that. I mean, it's coming out into a desert. I mean, yeah, really, Cheshvan is really where the work really sets in. It's really about being able to take you know, all the take the water and take all that energy that we gotten from that that incredible month of Tishrei, and then really driving that and energizing it into the mundane, into the, the mundane, into the rest of the year. Uh, this is really where the where the where the work comes in. Wow, got to start working hard, huh? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So today we're gonna go. We're going over the daily chumash. That's the daily portion of the five books of Moses uh, with MC here. We're also going to mention Rashi, the foremost commentator on the Torah and his explanation of some parts of this Torah portion. And so let's see. Uh, so before we jump into it, here are some Hebrew names people mentioned in this Torah portion who you may already be familiar with. Avram, who is Abraham, Sarai, who is Sarah, and both of whose Hebrew names change at the end of this Parsha. <clears throat> Noah, who is Noah, Yishmael, who is Ishmael, Yitzhak, who is Isaac, and Paro, who is the Egyptian pharaoh. So sit back, relax, and learn something. Take it away, MC. Thank you, PJ. This week's Parsha is, poor portion, is Parsha's Lech Lecha. Um, going forward from last week with the generations following Noah, um, with the exception of a few individuals, most of humanity begins to turn towards idolatry. Um, this is until the 10th generation with Avram, who recognizes God of his own accord and tries to spread monotheism in an idolatrous society. Um, Avram, with his parents and family, had previously left the city of Ur in Mesopotamia to the land of Haran. This Parsha begins with God speaking to Avram, commanding him to leave his father's house and to go to the land that God will show him. Uh, in reward for this, Avram will be blessed and will be made into a great nation. Uh, Avram, at the age of 57 at this point, takes his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, uh, as well as all of the people that had converted to monotheism and became his followers, and they traveled into the land of Canaan. Canaan. Um, they begin to travel southward at God's command, but they're interrupted by a famine that ravishes the land, and they're forced to make a detour into Egypt. Avram is concerned that because of the beauty of his wife, Sarai, the Egyptians will try to kill him and take Sarai for themselves. So he asks that she present herself as his sister. When they enter the land, the Egyptians are taken by her beauty and they proceed to shower Avram with gifts and take Sarai against her will to the palace of Paro. Uh, upon, entering the par uh, upon entering the palace, Paro and his entire household are struck with with a series of plagues. And Paro realizes that the, re the reason behind this, he thus 
re, uh, returns Sarai to Avram and tells them they need to leave the country. Uh, he escorts them out honorably with a great deal of wealth. At this point, Avram, as well as Lot, by association, becomes very wealthy with a great deal of livestock. Um, the herders of Lot and Avram begin to argue with each other. Uh, Rashi says this is because Lot's herders were not respecting people, the locals' property and were letting their animals graze in other people's fields. Uh, Avram and Lot decide to part ways peacefully, with Lot moving towards the cities along the plain of the Jordan River, near the city of Saddam. This area was very watered and very lush, but it mentioned that Saddam was also a very evil place. Uh, Lot was still nevertheless attracted to it, and he moves, his, moves to separate there. Um, that at the time, the cities of Sodom and the Plain were ruled by five kings who served under the rule of four more powerful kings in Mesopotamia. Uh, these kings of the Plain rise up in rebellion, so the four kings in Mesopotamia send their armies to crush the rebellion. They meet in battle, and the, the kings of the Plain are easily defeated. Uh, so the four kings begin to plunder Sodom and take its, um, take its people captive, including Lot, who was living there. Uh, when Avram is told by a survivor that Lot has been kidnapped, he mobilizes his, his 318 students. Uh, and Rashi says this can also refer to just his servant Eliezer. And with his, with his small army, pursues the kings and defeats them in battle, rescuing the hostages and the property. Uh, on his way back, Avram is greeted by Malkitzedek, the king of Shalem, which later becomes Jerusalem. Uh, Rashi says this is actually Shem, the righteous son of Noah, who is still alive at this point and is acting as a Kohen or a priest to God. Uh, he is blessed by Malkitzedek, and he gives him a portion of his property as a tithe. Um, to Melchizedek. Uh, the king of Sodom wishes to reward Avram for his service by giving him all the spoils of war, but Avram takes, swears an oath, refusing to take even so much of the shoelace from the, the spoils of battle or from the king as a reward. After the battle, Avram is afraid that because of his miraculous victory, his merit, he's used up all of his divine merits and reward, so God reassures him that he will continue to protect and reward him. Um, he then also pre-promises to Avram that he will have a son who will be his heir and that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the night sky. Um, Avram asks God for a sign that his descendants will, in fact, inherit the land of Israel. So God has him perform a covenant known as the covenant of the parts, where it involves taking a various number of animal sacrifices and splitting them down the middle and passing through them. Uh, as a part of this, God shows Avram a vision of his future, of the exile that his future descendants will go through. Um, he also promises that although they will be forced to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, they will come out with great wealth and will inherit the land forever. Um, that, and that, that concludes that covenant. Um, the, the portion then goes to Sarai, who at this point is still unable to have children. So she gives Avram her maidservant, Hagar, in hopes that doing this will, by merit of this, she herself will be able to have children. Hagar is able to conceive easily, and she uses this as a way to disparage and speak mockingly about her mistress. Sarah is very, Sarai is very upset by this and proceeds to treat Hagar very harshly. So Hagar runs away as a result. Um, a series of angels bring... Um, come to Hagar, telling her that she should go back and go back to come back to Avram's household, promising that she will be rewarded for her, that her prayers will be answered and she will be blessed with a son whose name will be Yishmael, who himself will become a great nation.
great nation. Uh, she does this and she comes back and at the age of 86, Avram has his son Yishmael with Hagar. Uh, God then appears to Avram uh, 13 years later when Avram is 99 years old and to form another covenant with Avram. He, tell, he commands Avram to perform circumcision for him and for all the males of his household, that all of his future descendants to, in this covenant should, have, should be circumcised at the age of eight days old. Uh, as a merit of this, this, will act, this circumcision will act as a permanent sign of the covenant between God and Avram's descendants. Uh, and, that, and, that will, and, and that God will give them the land as a, a merit of this forever. Um, he then, God then tells Avram that he will add a hey to his name and changes his name to Avraham, meaning the father of many nations, not just the great father. And he also changes Sarai's name to Sarah, adding a hey to that as well. Um, he tells Avraham that Sarah will, will have a son within the following year. Uh, Avram is so amazed by this that he falls to the ground and laughs with joy and with gratitude. God tells him that his son will be named Yitzchak, coming from the language of he will laugh, and that although Yishmael will also be blessed and will become a great and mighty nation with many kings in his own right, Yitzchak will be Avram's true heir, Avraham's true heir, and will inherit the land and will maintain the covenant for all, for all eternity. Um, the Parsha ends with on that day of Avraham at the age of 99 and Yishmael at the age of 13 and all the men of his household performing God's command and having the circumcision, thus completing the covenant. And thus we come to the end of our portion. All right, so question time. First one is, MC, why would, why would Avraham be fearful that the Egyptians would kill him, uh, you know, if they knew that he, he and Sarai were married? If you certainly had perfect faith in Hashem. That is a good question. I mean, certainly, yes, he had perfect faith in Hashem that Hashem would protect him. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, let's see. As far as... At the go same ahead. time... Yeah, um, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, at the same time, there's an idea that a person needs to also take certain measures to protect themselves themselves even at the same time even while having faith that having faith that hashem is going to protect them uh -huh. um, i think that certainly i mean a person you know certainly needs to have uh, have uh, you know have faith that hashem is going to protect them but at the same time if they're going to go into a dangerous situation they need to also take the certain they need to take the certain natural precautions as well um to, to not do that would be really kind of throwing oneself into a situation ways where they're assuming that, that, that Hashem is necessarily going to, going to, going to save them. Mm -hmm. uh. This is a topic, I know this comes up in, in, in Chava Salavavos. I don't remember the exact thing he says about this, but I believe it comes up on the topic of a, a person a person who does have faith in Hashem still taking the necessary means to to not put themselves in danger and to take precautions if they're going to go into a dangerous situation. Hmm. It's in, uh, I hear that. It's interesting that the is the term that Scripture uses really. That does it? Uh, I mean, is it really the one for fear? Like, could it could it be indicating? 
that he, he had a concern because a concern, for example, you, you know, a person who has perfect faith in Hashem can have. Mm-hmm. Fear is a little beyond that. So that's, he doesn't, you're, you're, you're right. He doesn't actually use an expression of fear. He uses an expression to, he speak, he says to, I mean, he says to his wife, he says that I'm, I, I've noticed that you're, you're, you're someone who's very beautiful and they're going, it just says that they're going to see you and they're going to kill me. And then therefore say that you're, say that you're my, you're my sister. Ah. I, I guess you're right. He never, you're, you're right. He never actually uses an expression of fear. Huh. It sounds like it was simply a logical thing that he pointed out and was trying to persuade yes. his wife to, yeah. Interesting. I think, you, I think you've, you're absolutely right. I think you do tease out a very good point here that. This isn't like it was an, this was not a, some sort of irrational sense of like fear or nervousness. This was, I need to take the necessary precautions when coming into this dangerous place. And so that's the, that's the logical thing I need to do. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Got to do the, you have to do the, the right physical things because even if God will protect you, that's God protecting you and you doing the right physical things. It's both of them. <laughs> right. You have to do your part of that. Right. Like a, like a warrior who, who goes into battle uh, believing that he'll, he'll emerge alive and well if he, if he, does, his be- if he does his best. Uh, still needs a shield. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Next one is... All right, what you say about how Avraham took back the hostages and property from the four kings with only an army of 300 or a servant Eliezer is rather incredible. It's like scripture is saying he was accompanied by... Well, I realize it's two ways of reading scripture, but it's it's like it's saying that he was accompanied by either a comparatively tiny army or one guy like it, that's two very different scenarios. So what do you really make of that split? That It is, that it is interesting. Um, I mean, the, the, I believe they derive it. The rabbis derive it from the fact how the gematria, the, the numerical value of, of Eliezer's name adds up to, to 318. So that, that's where you do get these two opinions. Although there are things that tried there, there are commentators on this Rashi that tried to sort of resolve something that's, that, that's sort of more that's sort of in between i i believe well, there's one commentator there's one commentator on rashi um i believe it's the maharal he says this in gor arya on this rashi he says that avraham did actually take 318 the, these 300 or so students so that uh, but that, that that there could be at least some sort of appearance of a natural victory so that there could be something that in it at least appears somewhat natural, but really the merits was all those 318 were really all on Eliezer. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I know. Really, it, was I strictly, it wasn't even Avraham's merit. It was strictly Eliezer's merit. That's incredible. I know. It's like, it's, it's not even the main guy. It's, it's the main guys. Or, sorry. It's not even like the, the main holy guy it's the main holy guy's servants merit that's how they won. <laughs> it's like they didn't even need like the the merit of gold they got the merit of of like bronze and it was fine <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, certainly Eliezer was in his own right, a, a remarkable individual, but certainly compared to like, absolutely compared to Av- Avraham, that was, that, that was, as you said, like bronze. I mean, he's not, he, he's not even the main, the re- the main, the main person here, but even still. Oh, that's incredible. Wow. Oh, certainly. That's the most incredible explanation I may have ever heard in Torah. I don't know. That's so great. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, huh. All right. So, yeah, I, I think that's good. Yeah. Thanks for your time, MC. Thank you. All right. This has been PJ's Torah Corner. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.